Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name's Marion Rose, PhD, and I am really excited right now because I have the lovely Roma Norris here with me. Welcome, Roma. Mm, hi, Marion. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so as soon as I thought about having this series about the effects of birth, I had this idea to have a conversation with you, Roma, because we have been talking about this for many, many years. I actually looked up this today to find the email interactions that we had back in 2015 about mm. being premature babies and the effects mm. that it had and the healing that we'd done and just this beautiful connection that happened all the way back then. And so, as I say, when I thought about this series, the first person I thought about is, I want to have a conversation with you about that. So both in terms of the journey we've been on to really understanding the effects of being premature and being in an incubator on us, the healing we've done, and also our journeys as parenting instructors and educators. So you are a hand-in-hand or parenting by connection instructor, which is Mm -hmm. similar for anybody who doesn't know hand-in-hand or parenting by connection. It's a really similar approach to aware parenting. It has so many overlaps and just beautiful nuanced differences, but, you know, really the basic premises are, are the same. So I'm just really excited for us to get to have this conversation today. So thank you for being here, Roma. Mm, me too, excited. And I'm, yeah, it's a brilliant thing that you're doing this series because it's not something that I see people talking about very much. And yet it has such a deep impact on individuals and society. Um, so yeah, wonderful that you're doing this and excited. I've yeah, been wanting to have this conversation with you for years. <laughs> yes, me too. And how wonderful. I trust the timing that we're doing it right now. Yeah. Mm. So I thought we might really have it as a conversation sharing our similar experiences. So do you feel willing to share about what happens for you as a baby, like what you know now in terms of how premature you were and what you experienced? Mm. Are you willing to share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was two months early, so I must have been born around 32 weeks. I think the birth was relatively straightforward. I just kind of slipped out (laughs) (laughs) as tiny babies sometimes do um but of course I was separated immediately from my mom gosh there's even a croak in my voice telling you this and I've done so much work around this um and yeah she told me a story actually on my 21st birthday of how she kind of woke up I guess she must have had some kind of heavy pain relief so maybe the birth wasn't completely straightforward and was just in this hospital sort of looking for her baby and she trawled the halls with her drip in her arm dragging dragging the drip behind her looking for where I might be which is such a shocking experience to have as a mother to suddenly you know lose your bump and your baby and and not know where your baby is even terrifying Um, so yeah, I was in an incubator for five weeks, which I think I have come to realize I experienced as an eternity. And yeah, I only found out more recently that my mom actually stayed in the hospital for quite a number of those weeks. So she would come down from the ward and see me quite often 
which is quite a lot different from how I remember it in my system. Uh, I experienced it as a complete abandonment and that there was really no one there. And of course, for a tiny, tiny baby, even if your mother is visiting once, twice, thrice a day, the long spans between that are really going to feel like eternity because babies obviously have no no sense of time. So yeah, is that is that similar to your story, Marion? Yeah, really, really similar. So yeah, I was born at about 30 weeks and I was in an right. incubator for, for five weeks. So I was saying six weeks recently and I was like, no, it was five. <laughs> so yeah, exactly okay, the same snap. amount of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the similar sense. So no, it was really helpful for me when I started to understand about babies and that they don't have a newborn doesn't have any sense of time. So I'm really with you on that sense of eternity. And my initial journey with kind of revisiting and reconnecting with that experience was absolutely the the isolation, the loneliness, the just complete lack of any connection whatsoever. That was my felt sense of it. So really similar to yours, even though, mm. of course, there would have been nurses and all kinds of people looking after me looking after us but the, the experience mm. was just of absence and like nothing nothing no yeah. no connection yeah we're probably, we're probably gonna cry aren't we even though all these oh. years of <laughs> these years have been at work we'll probably cry <laughs> yeah crying is good crying is so good yeah it seems like this is something that one literally cannot cry enough about yeah and of course it makes sense I mean babies are supposed to be met with skin and eyes and held and yes. you know continuous um co-regulation and connection and safety cues and all those things that were completely absent for us which were you know if, to look at from the outside maybe doesn't make so much difference to the untrained eye oh, okay well that baby's safe and they're getting fed and they're comfortable and warm but actually that slight difference of being in the mother's habitat on the mother's body um yeah it makes all the difference of course it really does doesn't it mm. I don't know about you Roma but I still I find it well, all kinds of feelings that I have when I see still for example seeing on social media babies who are separated from their mothers for all kinds of reasons and just seeing but still, this is 55 years after yes. my birth and less from yours, but it's still not understood and recognized by most people. And I know for me, I just often feel so sad that just that baby's experience is not understood. I know for me, one of the most recent parts of the inner work I've been doing was last year and it was really connecting with this, this sense of not being understood Mm-hmm. you say people are like oh great if the baby's fine the baby lives mm-hmm. and you know, it's like great with yeah. no understanding of all of these layers and levels that we're going to be talking about today all of the feelings and the huge yeah. implications as well as of course I think we're going to have rolling through this is that it's possible for babies to heal for children to heal for teenagers for for us mm-hmm. to heal as adults that's never too late yes. to heal from these experiences no and they have massive effects on a baby yes yeah that's the shocking thing i actually can't really go into nikus i don't know about you i would have taken this up you know as my activism because I obviously feel really passionately about this, but I just 
I can't go there. It's too overwhelming for my system. Yes. I worked as a, a birth worker for many years and obviously I would have to go to NICUs to support people. Uh, but I just would, yeah, I would get completely flooded. I couldn't hold my own in, in that environment. And they are exactly the same. Even the new, really high-tech ones where they're so proud of all their facilities are still separating mothers and babies. There's nowhere for parents to stay yes. in a NICU. They have to go home, and that creates a huge separation. And, yeah, it's it's appalling that just this a lot of areas of, of childbirth are, are very progressive, particularly I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in the UK, we actually have quite quite progressive birthing options, at least. You're shaking your head, not so much. No, not, no not here. Oh. No, not really. No, not at all. Not as not as far as I understand. No. I'm really sorry to hear that. Mm. Yes, I've heard a bit about what's going on in the UK. And I shared a post on Facebook a few weeks ago that there are some places. Where was that? I think it was Spain, where there was actually shock horror some kangaroo care and actually to really think about maybe most babies or not many babies who are in incubators actually would be much better off being on their mother's or and or father's or other parents skin as much as possible mm -hmm. and that many of the things that are done to keep them safe and keep them alive could be done actually on a parent's body rather than in a box mm -hmm. yeah of course, the work of Niles Bergman, the Swedish pediatrician, who I think is based in South Africa. I love his work. He churns out research on the subject of kangaroo care and, and what neonates are really needing. Mm. Um, and of course, has some really robust evidence that babies who, and this is in a, a climate where there are quite a lot of under-resourced communities that don't have access to things like incubators. So out of necessity, this research was trialed. <laughs> out of necessity, they were having to just put their babies on their bodies 24 hours a day. And funnily enough, it turns out <laughs> that, yeah, babies, babies thrive on their mother's body they they breastfeed more easily they're discharged more quickly from hospital they have lower readmissions all kinds of improved health outcomes and obviously the bonding with their parents which is fundamental to that brain development so yeah I love Niles Bergman and his work and that's something I'd really recommend checking out if anyone is interested. But yeah, it's sort of lip service the way that they um, approach kangaroo care. Certainly what I've observed in the UK, it's just, you know, they might suggest that you put your baby on your body for an hour. <laughs> That's not what they meant. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and I so hear you as well about the activism, and I had similar sense as well that that would have been my absolute passion to work in that area. And similarly, it was just so completely 
too much and overwhelming for me and mm. until even really recently like there was a, I did have this really powerful experience last year when someone I follow online they were sharing pictures of their premature baby three times a day so it was a really powerful and okay, experience gosh. for me to actually yeah. some of the things that I've thought about and just what I know and what I can observe in babies to actually really observe that whole process for that little baby. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to that mother who is willing to share in that way because we didn't get to see, I don't know whether you even have any photos of you. I don't have any photographs of me when I was actually in hospital as a baby. So mm-hmm. to actually see that process. And it was really the first time as well that I, I had enough safety in my system to actually be able to really look and feel and more crying, right. and more, you know, more yeah. feeling into that experience yeah. but, but up until then yeah but let alone going into a, a NICU after I did my PhD I worked with research on newborn babies so I went into a a postnatal ward like three or four times a week mm-hmm. and and there was the NICU over in one corner and I just didn't go anywhere near there right. it's just too too much for me so I'm, yeah I'm, I really get that I appreciate hearing that actually because I've always sort of held that somewhere as a, a kind of weakness or failing on my part and um yeah it feels okay to be creating some sort of activism just slightly slightly on the side of of the sort of direct issue and I know that the work that both you and I do will will have an impact in that direction but yeah it's good to know your limits too right <laughs> It's vital, isn't it? Vital. And I don't know about you, but I know in early years, it was just so much terror in my body that it's just Mm -hmm. to be really careful about, you know, in a way parenting, we talk about that balance of attention to actually feel enough safety in the present to be able to go towards particular revisiting of past feelings. And I needed to be really careful with that for Mm. for many years, you know, until more like the last decade where I've had more of that in my system to be able to, to be with more of the fear and more of the terror and and all of those feelings yeah 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 absolutely Mm. so I was Mm. thinking we might go back to talk about um we talked a little bit about this before recording when you first started to realize that your birth and your experience in the incubator had had an effect on you do you want to share anything about that experience yes yeah I think I was saying that um I'd been completely oblivious uh, throughout my childhood and adolescence and young adulthood that there was any impact from my birth. It was just a kind of cute story that I had been in an incubator when I was born. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you trot out when people talk about birth. And it was only when I, so I had this very strong calling to train as a birth worker Uh, around the age of 22 sort of sat bolt upright and suddenly felt the impact of the way that souls are welcomed onto this plane and knew that I needed to be part of that and um, so went on to train at King's College London as a midwife um, where of course I was living and breathing birth um, day and night I mean I was dreaming nothing but birth and literally every waking hour was devoted to studying or or attending birth and that was (laughs) 
really far too much for my system uh, that had this kind of locked down trauma around birth. And so they insisted that I had a hepatitis B vaccine in order to continue my placement, which I'm not sure is entirely legal, actually. And I was blue lighted two days later into hospital with a really severe kidney infection. And it's actually the closest to death I've ever felt myself in this lifetime. Uh, it was really touch and go. And I was severely unwell for about a year after that, having been in the prime of my health at age 23. And I think the vaccine definitely played its part. But on an emotional level, I think what was happening was that all of this birth content, this material was triggering my deeper trauma. And that just kind of emerged like a <laughs> Leviathan or something and took, took me down and took me out of that space, actually. So, I mean, maybe there was a wisdom in that. Maybe, maybe that was too much for me to face at that point. And just before that, I'd met an extraordinary woman called Binny Dansby, who I think I've spoken to you about. Do you know Binny? Yeah, not not really. You know much, her work? But, no, but yeah, yes, I know her work, yes. Yeah, so I mean, her whole life's work is around the impact of birth on all life systems, as she would say. And so I, I'd come across her and reached out to her and I had already become friends with her in a, a very serendipitous and cosmic way. And so she was actually already kind of mentoring me and supporting me by the time this sort of big sledgehammer hit, which was really fortunate, actually. And I think it was through her support that I really understood that what was happening was a kind of replay of sorts or a, a working out, a renegotiation of the really early trauma. So that was that was my first awareness of the impact of what had happened, that that was still in my body kind of lying dormant all these years and of course many many years later so almost 20 years later now uh, I have been working on this uh, trauma pretty much non-stop in various ways and it's been it's been a tremendous piece of work there's a couple of other ways that I observed it coming up through the years I mean constantly in 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 small ways but some some of the bigger ways were so when I was pregnant with my two children I only actually clocked this when I had my second child and when I was 32 weeks pregnant with her I just spontaneously started having contractions I sort of went into light early labor but the contractions were quite strong and because I had by that point been doing so much work on healing this early experience I was just aware enough to to realize what was happening and I went and lay down and just I knew that I'd been born at 32 weeks and that there was some kind of replay happening here 
And I was able to override those contractions and just tell my body, no, no, we're not going to do that. This isn't real. This is just a replay. It's just a, an imprint. We don't need to have this baby early. And because I'd had that realization, I kind of frantically went back to my son's midwifery notes and realized that at 32 weeks, I'd also had a scare where I thought that my midwife had said to me, you you might have to have your baby tonight by emergency cesarean. I actually, in hindsight, think I only had food poisoning, but she thought and it was manifesting as though I might have preeclampsia. And it was just so curious that that happened both times. I also had, when my son was born, so I wasn't aware enough to to catch that it was a 32-week imprint happening at that point. But I was very aware when he was born, I was pretty much in almost like an altered state for the first five weeks of his life. I had a uterine infection and I was completely out of it, feverish and sleeping most of the day and night. And it wasn't lost on me that that first five weeks was was how long I was in an incubator. So again, these funny ways the body remembers and sort of replays what happens, uh, what happened. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure you must have had similar experiences to that. Yes, absolutely. So our bodies are so amazing and so wise. Mm. And I just really want to acknowledge all of those different experiences. And, and oh, my heart goes out to that 22, 23-year-old year, what a, like a shocking, such a shocking way to completely revisit, relive mm. experience. So oh, mm. I, to, I love you had someone, I love you had a mentor and Binny there to support you with that. And I really hear yeah. that took you off in a really different direction so you didn't continue midwifery after after sadly not it's one of the big regrets of my life and of course you know it took me in another direction that was perfect but yeah I I can remember trying to come back from that kidney infection I was still quite unwell so I was walking around with hot water bottles on my kidneys and I can remember just sort of like keeling over in a stock cupboard I was trying to like restock these birth packs and putting all these different bits of equipment and I just couldn't I remember keeling over and crying so I was in so much pain and still so feverish I still had an infection quite some months later and I was getting so behind with all my my coursework and there were so many hours to make up and it was just the gap was just getting ever wider and I I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make up the time and that I, I couldn't really get better if I kept pushing myself so sadly I I defaulted a year and I was going to go back the next September but I uh, got pregnant with my son and so a whole different direction yeah yeah wow so interesting isn't that strong calling I I had a calling at a, a certain point in my life that I would have loved to have been a midwife but I just also knew that just because of the terror that was still sitting in my body, that was just not not a direction I would be able to go down in this right. time either. So it's just like, oh, yeah. so I did. And I worked as a hypnobirthing instructor for a few years and, and, and then in calm mm-hmm. birth. So that was my way of like still being involved and to, mm-hmm. uh, to support parents, but actually not being in that position as the, a midwife. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was kind of my way of <laughs> being kind of safe enough to, 
to be in that role. So Right. Keeping enough distance. Keeping enough distance, absolutely. Yeah, sensible. Yeah. And I can imagine you being so lovely as a hypnobirthing oh, instructor. I did really enjoy it. I loved it. And you, I used those in, so I used hypnobirthing with my daughter's birth and calm birth with my mm. son's birth. So then, okay. yeah. But similarly to you, I had that really strong calling really early on. So for me, it was more psychology. And I actually shared in last week's podcast that the first time I had the aha moment was I was about 14 and I was in England where I grew up in the kitchen I remember it listening to Radio 4 with my mum and dad around the kitchen table eating dinner because my dad loved Radio 4 and there was this man talking about having hypnotherapy and going back and remembering or revisiting his birth and his time in utero and I remember like I literally remember everything about that moment oh oh my god (laughs) angels sang because similarly to you you know otherwise it just been this kind of family story about being in an incubator and being early and there was no understanding of what that meant or the effect that had but that was the kind of that first moment where I went oh my god really that's that my passion for really pre and perinatal psychology that's the kind of route I went down so went down the Mm -hmm. psychology and then was drawn to do a PhD on the mother infant relationship and postnatal depression so also spending a lot of time talking to mothers talking to mothers who'd just given birth being in the postnatal wards of a hospital and you know it's mm. just the, the wisdom isn't it that wisdom that we have to go okay this is where I need to go <laughs> and I'm gonna go and go and be involved in that world so yeah that was the way yeah I but I also really remember when I was 18 well I, there were a couple of things happened when I was 18 one was that I got really drunk I, I'd started drinking alcohol and I got really drunk one New Year's Eve and you know, just so, mm-hmm. so drunk and I was with my friends and I just started sobbing and sobbing oh, and sobbing wow. and sobbing so I literally could not stop crying yeah and afterwards it took me a little few years afterwards to realize of course that the ending and the new year so what I would often have is beginnings would help me reconnect with the experience of being born so that beginning of the new year helped me connect and of course at the time I had no idea why I was crying so much but of course my body was going okay (laughs) got 18 years of this we really need to start learning some of this out now so that was one of my early experiences and I also had a couple of panic attacks as well when I was 18 also moving towards leaving home so again that Mm -hmm. you know for me that revisiting of leaving you know like leaving my mother's body like leaving the home of my parents really again tapped me back into that so I yeah I had a panic attack and I didn't even really like that languaging panic attack I had terror Mm-hmm. Bubbling mm-hmm. out of my body that I'd been <laughs> repressing and dissociating from for 18 years. So that just came bubbling yeah. out. So that was when, on that physiological level, things started to, to move for me. And, but it really wasn't until I started my psychology degree and started really diving into, as I say, pre and perinatal psychology. I just got, became obsessed with like reading the books and understanding the things. And that was really where my journey went to, to rebirthing and training as a psychotherapist and like doing all the things that I could getting really, I got really into Stan Groff's work with the mm-hmm. basic perinatal matrices and I did holotropic breath work. And, you know, so I really yeah. dove in deep in my twenties to, to really start listening to those feelings. So. Mm. Yeah, same. And I think that's why you and I connected actually. Binny's work is obviously very much centered around breathwork, rebirthing. Yes. Uh, so a very similar way in. But I think those kind of 
um, practices for anyone who doesn't who isn't familiar. It's a it's a, a way of breathing where you kind of mimic how a newborn breathes. So that sort of circular breath where your in breath shifts immediately into an out breath and vice versa somehow reminds the body of that that first breath and it just I don't know how it works but it takes you back there in a very visceral way Uh, and interestingly when I first came to rebirthing it was it was at a camp where quite a few of my friends were with me and these were people I'd known you know some of them for many years at that point and so I knew little bits about their births already from things that they or their parents had said and just to to be able to watch them go through this process while they were I don't know if it's right to say under the influence of the breath (laughs) but uh, in this altered state basically and the ways that their bodies would contort and move and the types of feelings or physical sensations that were coming up it was astounding so it was not only my own experience of my birth coming up but watching several friends go through that process yeah really eye-opening to see that there was there was more to it than what we had previously realized Mm, absolutely do you remember what kinds of like the particular layers and levels that you went through, you know, for, you know, for me, there was a lot of the early years were really about the grief and the isolation, the things we were talking about earlier and the loneliness and the longing. I used to just feel this longing all the oh, time yes. and it really oh, manifested in my teenage years of, of like longing for, or maybe it'd be the, the beloved or, you know, it's just all mm-hmm. this longing, longing and, and, and really this deep sense of not belonging here and just like, that was the initial first layer do you, you know lots of other layers after that but that was definitely the first a lot of years mm. with those feelings I wonder yeah do you recall oh, yeah yeah the terror the longing I mean I used to wake up screaming in the night uh with just full terror running through my body yes um and that continued until I found the work with hand-in-hand parenting where I started using listening partnerships which is their sort of foundational practice uh where you yeah two people uh pair up to offer this kind of somatic listening support where you can really start to offload some of those old stored up feelings and after I've been doing that for several months the terror the night terror is sort of it it just dropped away actually and I haven't really had that since then but I had this constant feeling like someone day and night really like someone was just going to appear with an axe and kill me at any point that kind of terror like tremendous hypervigilance um and sort of feeling of stress so I didn't ever have panic attacks but I just had this yeah we'd come up at night I suppose when my my guard had dropped (laughs) and then the longing I absolutely relate to yeah through the teenage years I I was completely deranged when it came to relationship and until very recently actually uh, that's been one of the real sore 
places in in my existence these sort of just impossible not impossible relationships but uh yeah impossible attachment stuff happening I don't know if you can relate to (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) I haven't had two I haven't got two ex-husbands at all (laughs) right yeah and I'm I'm sending love because one of my the father of my children he was I hope he doesn't mind I'm sure he won't mind me he was adopted so he was also on his own for some some weeks as well after he was born so I just think we did so amazingly the two of us but you know you can imagine Bless what happened you, between no. the two of us together so oh yeah I can really uh, imagine yeah mm. yes but yeah the longing for me it was so long it was just like the longing that that and I just no understanding a realization that, that it would be a man it would be a man that would completely and help me feel safe and help me mm-hmm. feel loved and all of those things um, yeah, so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yes. And the terror, yeah, I even up until, I don't know how long ago it stopped, but I would have similar things of the waking up in the night with terror, even up until maybe about eight years ago, I think, just still occasionally, just this terror. And often actually interesting, you talked about your early experience. I remember once I accidentally had some ice cream or something that had some kind of artificial flavorings in it. So just any kind of sense in my body where I, there was something unknown or unfamiliar, I would go into this whole thing of this Mm. so many years to unravel that the the belief was, you know, there's something wrong with me, something terrible is going to happen, I'm going to die. So that would often kind of this whole cycle of events would happen, which really took a long time to unravel. So that was, yeah, that was, that was really horrific, actually, really horrific. But I, I really, I love what you said as well about the, when you're talking about the 32 weeks, that symptom, the revisiting of mm. that possible, you getting to maybe even being a mother of a baby who was born that similar amount of weeks is for me, I really started to realize that actually telling myself this is not about the here and now and actually talking mm-hmm. to baby me and saying that you're actually safe now. This isn't about the here and now. These are feelings from the past. They're absolutely accurate feelings about yes. the past. You're actually yes. safe now. And for me, it really needed to be something that I could do for myself. Yes, yes. of course, I needed lots of support and listening. But until I came to that point where I could, when I was going into terror to actually I tell that to little baby me and understand that that Mm -hmm. was where things really shifted for me so that was so helpful yeah absolutely uh so much self-parenting and we're talking about multiple times a day and sometimes through the entire night for years on end I mean that was my experience I don't know (laughs) yes yeah I mean Binny right from so early in my early 20s had me breastfeeding my baby self to sleep each night mm-hmm. and um reimagining so visualizing my my birth being very different and both my parents being really present and maybe they knew about kangaroo care and maybe they felt confident to have a home birth even though I was premature and you know I'm not necessarily recommending that by the way but just (laughs) for the sake of (laughs) renegotiation um yeah a lot of that to kind of uh, remind the limbic system 
that all is well now and that it's time to let go of the yeah the kind of stored up experiences um there's something i've been learning about recently called um come on brain what's it called um uh oh god <laughs> i'm like this all the time i can so often <laughs> not remember things words people's names i forget most of the time <laughs> it's been particularly bad since i've been sick with this neurological condition i like i just don't seem to be able to retrieve words mm. it's really frustrating um what am i trying to say um Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm right here with you. I'm really willing for you to remember. If you don't remember it right now, I'm really so trust it will come out later on. <laughs> um, maybe you know this piece of work. The, um, the way that we, the neuroscience behind how we uh, release the synapses and change the, oh my God, it's such an interesting piece of work. I want to remember it. <laughs> Um, I never remember neuroscience. Whenever I try to remember anything on that really deep physiological level, right. I, I read about it and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never, <laughs> ever recall any of it. I just have this sense that this is not, you know, for my lifetime, it's just all about the feelings. It's not about right. neuroscience. So I, I really value that and everyone who can talk about that, but it's just, I, I just never remember any of it. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it'll come back. Um I can't even remember what I was trying to say now. So <laughs> let's leave that. Okay. I really trust you'll come back. Don't you love? I love that. I, I just go, yeah, it's, yeah, we'll remember it if you need to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm so and so I'm really impressed with you. Like you found Binny, and I really hear you. Sounds like you're really willing to receive that support from her because for me, I had such a theme for decades that I needed to do it all by myself. And actually, it was not safe. It wasn't safe for me to receive too much close support because that would just tap me right back into the feeling. So I did a lot of kind of, you know, getting support and doing things. And I did ther therapy for 10 years, you know, so I did, I did a lot and I did receive a lot of support, but there was a way in which I was still kind of doing it on my own. Mm. So, yeah. I'm really impressed that you are able and willing to receive that support. I don't know if it's something to be impressed by. I think I really lucked out meeting her and yeah, it it really changed the course of my life actually. Um and yeah, it is an edge receiving receiving love and receiving support for sure. Mm. But I think my attachment has always been more anxious rather than avoidant. Mm. Um and I in hindsight, I put that down to my mother actually being very loving and quite available in a certain sense. It's quite new that I would say this. <laughs> <laughs> because as very often happens with this kind of healing process, we need to really lean into the hurts that happened and all the ways in which we weren't met and yes. the kind of the pain of not receiving the parenting that we really needed yes. um first and then once we've cleared some of that out <laughs> of the way we can actually look back and go oh actually you know she did all right by me yes. <laughs> i certainly resonate with that yes right it's, it's a yeah. thing isn't it it's such a um, thing and it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And it so replicates hand-in-hand -hand parenting and aware parenting. We get to 
express enough of these feelings and be lovingly heard and feel safe that of course they're like you know we can see clearly and be be naturally grateful not because we're trying to be but because it just arises in us to go oh yeah look at look at that look at the ways we did receive love and support Mm, yeah absolutely and yeah it's yeah it's quite curious to to be able to see things I mean even a few years back it it looked so bleak when I would feel into my childhood I could only feel the neglect and the abandonment and the sort of big gaping holes and somehow yeah I feel like I've moved through a lot of that and it feels quite different to to look back now but yeah I would always be more the clingy child rather than the one pushing their parent away and in my relationships I've been uh, much more anxious than avoidant which in a way the avoidant one is is the more even more frightened one is the one who can't even trust people enough to let them in but I would say my anxiousness has been pretty extreme so it's not that I was in a much better place because (laughs) because my attachment was more anxious I'd say it was it was still very extreme and caused a lot of difficulties in my relationship and and so much pain for so many years that I was just completely bewildered by you know how distressed I I would feel and how difficult it was to kind of keep my end up in intimate relating and I really appreciate my listening partners who have held my hand through all of those years uh, where I've been yeah I've pretty much had psychotic episodes as a result of relationships at different points and I I can remember times where friends of mine or my sister I could just see the look in their eyes (laughs) the way they were looking at me like you are seriously unhinged like you're not okay and that's quite a frightening thing to see in in the people around you but uh yeah it's been it's been pretty extreme and I am actually feeling quite smug and triumphant at the moment because I I feel like I've I don't know whether it's safe to say conquered, but I've I've worked out a major piece around attachment and it's feeling so different to me now. So I share this so that anyone who is trying to work on these kind of early hurts as an adult can know that all of this is retrievable. It's all recoverable proportional to how much resource is available, how much support, how much access we have to good, loving, nourishing relationship. And yeah, I suppose there must be an element of bravery or curiosity that leads you to seek out that healing. Some people just stay in shutdown and some people don't. And I, that's a really interesting question for me. What What is it that makes you someone who, you know, 
just will leave no stone unturned, who has a kind of thirst to get to the bottom of this stuff. Yes. What makes someone like that? And what makes another person really unwilling to go there? I don't know if you have any answers to that question. No, I don't, but I, I often have the similar question. Like, I'm really right. curious. And also really curious about some of the ways where I actually still had, you know, even as a teenager, really intact, like healthy self-connection. That it's just like I'm, right. I don't know how that was possible. I really don't. Okay. So yeah, I really say more about that. I, I, you know, as a teenager, there were things I said no to. That, for example, my peers, all the things my peers were doing. I mean, I did drink a lot from an early age, and I get really completely drunk and just pass yeah. out. So I did do that a lot. And I gave that up at, I gave up alcohol altogether at like. 24 I think something like that 24 25 because I just could see where that could have gone so oh. and I did I did that but just in terms of everything else like risk-taking behaviors I was actually really connected with myself in terms of saying no to things which I'm just right. really surprised about so that was one of the things I really noticed and I think for me oh. in terms of that question I just think I was desperate I cannot imagine what would have happened to me if I hadn't started really looking at this really at 18 9 or 19 really um I don't I don't I mean I wouldn't I don't think I would be here still now I think I would have been really severely severely I don't know what track I would have gone down but I would have not been well emotionally at all if I hadn't really gone diving in deep with every single element every single part of myself both in my calling but also in the inner work I don't I yeah I, mm. it was I was kind of desperate really to to, mm. to um, find out why I, I always say I wanted to find out why I was the way I was and I didn't I hardly spoke I was so what was called shy in those days I was so terrified you know, I, just, I just had to <laughs> discover. So as soon as I got this kind of, this little window, it's like, yeah, I, I'm all in. That, that's it for me. <laughs> Gosh, and look at you now. Like it, and it is amazing. Don't you ever think like what you said about relationships? Like I look at me now and what I have done and what I've done in my parenting. I mean, there's been lots of terrible and painful and horrific, like some things we've shared, but mm. I look at the relationship I have with my mum now, you know, she's 91. She's just sitting over there in the, in my living room and Aww. relationship we have. And what I did manage as a parent, you know, there were lots of things I didn't do, but to be able to mm. um, have actually really amazing births and to be able to carry them everywhere and to practice aware parenting listen to loads of feelings I mean that is to me amazing to be able to make the kind of shift from literally terrified all the time about everything to being able yes. to, to make this kind of shift and and it's continues and continues and gets kind of more wonderful in terms of and you know, I feel a deep sense of belonging and I just feel really connected and I do trust people and I do reach out for support you know all of these things that are just massive transformational mm. things that I wouldn't have thought would be possible in a lifetime let alone in you know 30 mm. years so it's just amazing mm-hmm. isn't it? it really is amazing yeah and you know don't get me wrong I'm actually quite severely disabled right now <laughs> um, I can't walk very far at the moment and I've been really crippled by a neurological condition which is very very much linked to what happened at my birth uh particularly in the last few years 
but this has been going on since I had my daughter who's now 11. So there, you know, there's been an impact for sure. And the impact on my parenting, as you say, you know, there are many things I achieved. I managed to override the conditioning around birth and I, they both had beautiful home births and I held them and I breastfed them. But I've got this attachment stuff that makes me turn away from them and I've fought really really hard to override that and I you know I've showed up to my best capacity but even so this illness has been a huge obstacle uh, in my parenting particularly in the last few years there's been this huge huge uh, rupture with my kids Mm. so I'm still working on fixing my body I'm still working on repairing that rupture with my children they currently live mostly with their dad so you know it's it's pretty brutal the impact of this stuff and I was just saying as we joined the call I'm doing so much better in the last month but the previous six months before that I went right back into birth trauma again. So even despite all of this work that I'd done for all of these years, uh, I actually went into hospital for a few weeks last September. Mm. And just being in the hospital environment, being institutionalized, the way that they, you know, they take away like a lot of your freedoms that you have to ask to leave the ward, you're allowed visitors at a certain time, you're fed at these routine times and you don't have any choice about what that is. You're in this small room, which is like a little incubator and uh, people open the door at any point. You don't have control over when somebody's going to come in. All of those things are signals to that place in you that remembers what happened and even though I was prepared for this I knew what was going to happen I had good emotional support in place I really went under for six months after that and I was watching myself and I knew what was happening but I couldn't get myself out of it and I was pretty much suicidal for about six months and you know I wasn't making a big deal about it I knew it was going to pass I wasn't taking it too seriously or really indulging it that much wasn't even really talking about it that much to the people around me but just quietly suffering and being unable to pull myself out of this hole and actually it was some hand-in-hand instructors who very very kindly this gorgeous woman Lara Zane uh, who I was doing some listening partnerships with just really clocked that I actually wasn't okay because you can't always tell in listening partnerships because the whole point is that you're going to use that space to offload the kind of darker heavier stuff and you know it's quite good to take that with a pinch of salt when you're listening to someone but she knew that I was actually not all right and she arranged an intervention that hand-in-hand parenting call a parent rescue squad Um, and that's where someone who's in crisis Uh, gets surrounded by four or five listeners that they know well and they rotate to listen so that you get kind of like between two and three hours straight of time to really go in deep to offload some feelings some deep feelings and having the whole group's attention Mm. it brings a level of safety that allows you to really access some of the the deeper stuff 
So they did that quite recently. And I think that was a turning point for me. And after that, I was able to sort of, yeah, take some practical steps to, uh, yeah, pull myself out. And uh, I've been doing so much better since then. But just it goes to show that, you know, there's this weakness, there's a, an emotional weakness, there's a nervous system weakness, there's a deep trauma that can get triggered, I guess, by by different curveballs that life throws at us. And no matter how much work you've done, you never really know when the next one's going to hit. I do feel like it's it's definitely recovery in layers and I feel you know I feel fairly robust these days but yeah uh, I'm also aware that there's there's you know this is a lifelong piece of work yes oh my heart goes out to sweetheart I really can so imagine yeah all the feelings and that that would have showed up for you in that experience which is so much a replication of the original experience yeah, it's really gorgeous to actually tell that to someone who really gets it. It's just like even just <laughs> people look at you in a kind of vacant way when you make that kind of connection. Like I, I told a friend recently who is a, a kind of top embodiment coach and he's very trauma informed and really understands, you know, teaches about trauma. Yes. And I was saying that I'd, you know, I'd been really thrown off by being in hospital, and he kind of looked at me like you're a bit fragile or something like that. (laughs) You're a bit oversensitive. And I'm like, no, you just actually really get it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really it's so big, isn't it? And that's that not being understood piece, I think, which has been so core for me as well. So I I would say to you, like, how has going in lifts been for you? Like for me, I don't know what it's for you, but for me terrifying and I did some massive work on that a few years ago but even though I would yeah I haven't been in the position to see whether that is still around but yeah going to lift going to plane as well so would also really help me connect with all of the things as well so yeah so you know I've never made that connection but I basically go unconscious before the plane takes off every time yeah I just pass out as soon as I get on plane. so yeah probably something <laughs> probably <laughs> part of me is like well wow great at least you get to go on and you don't feel terrified right I've had a, yeah. I've literally been in terror at one time oh, anyway there's a whole story but yeah so I totally get it but for me it's been more the dentist that's been where it's oh shocked. yeah I've had so much dental and then I had a whole lot of mm-hmm. dental trauma on the top of that so for me I've done so many years of that the last time I went I it's the first time I didn't feel scared. I hardly needed to do any inner work first. And I came out afterwards and I was like, oh my gosh. So maybe wow. that's where it's shown up for me. Teeth and dentists so much. Oh yeah. Has been I have to. For me. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's vile. I mean, I have to anchor myself hard with somatic practices in the dentist chair for sure. Yeah. yeah. What about some Premi baby superpowers though? Oh, some very, very superpowers. Well, for me, that's why I'm so, why I'm just passionate about aware parenting and I keep going on about it every day of my life. Because mm-hmm. I, have, I have a really deep understanding of what it's like to be a baby. And so when I was with my babies, I just could put myself in the shoes. When I see babies, I just 
get what it's like to be a baby. And I just want to advocate for deep understanding of babies that they're sentient right in utero they're affected by everything and that we can be so present and loving with them and we can support them we can help them heal from any stress and trauma through crying all the things that's one of my biggest superpowers is I deeply feel so connected with Mm. and small children as well it's just like yeah I get you and and at any time you know I'm walking along the street I see a baby or child it's just doing I make that eye contact it's like yeah I, oh, I see you. I just like I just I just love babies <laughs> absolutely and that so comes across in your work thank you lovely do you have the similar like what are your I love I've never had that question before I want to think oh, uh, what, are your, what are your premier baby superpowers <laughs> well something I see in you that I know is true of myself is being an activator obviously your imprint as a premature baby is that you came early so you launch yourself into everything before you're fully ready to, which, you know, sometimes can cause problems, but very often it means you just get shit done. And yeah, you're, you're kind of ahead of the game quite often. And if you want something done, you, (laughs) you ask an activator. Yeah. On the, like by comparison, someone who was born maybe they were induced or they were born by cesarean but there was no labor and the obstetrician had to kind of you know go find them in the womb and yank them out that can often have an imprint of being quite deliberative as an adult sort of reluctant to get started there can be a sort of inertia have you have you witnessed that in people yes yeah Mm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I love that's one of my other passions is observing like how you are in your everyday life and particularly in terms of projects and following your calling and particularly in entrepreneurship. I'm like, I'm always, Mm. "Ah." I I see it like in parenting as well. I go, I'm sure you do too. It's like with parents and their children. I'm like, yep, that sounds like birth. Yeah, that sounds like birth. Yeah, I see it. Don't you? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned your ex husband had been adopted. Yeah, something I've noticed is that adults who who were adopted or their mother was unconscious during their birth, so she was, you know, she was given a GA or unconscious for another reason, or premature babies. So basically any experience of really quite major separation, those are the three early experiences that seem to be so formative that seem to create an extraordinary amount of terror in the system I'd say they stand out actually from other early experiences would you agree with that yeah, I think I probably even dissociated a tiny bit. So did, well, I, right. when you were saying that, because for me, the other one, which maybe you said is like any kind of powerlessness. So like intervention, that could be any kind right. of intervention. So for me, that sense of powerlessness, which is an overlay with overlap with terror, but a sense of not having, we talked in the before we started recording, like the mm. not having agency or choice or autonomy. I know still that's mm-hmm. a key one for me. And I, I see that so yeah. often with people who've had any kind of medical intervention, like in utero during birth or actually in those early weeks and months after birth, that yes, and a sense of 
having stuff happen to us that we did not choose and we had no you know poor little arms and legs were trying to push away but really had no other option but to dissociate from Mm -hmm. the level of powerlessness that 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 brings I think is really significant as well so did you say Mm -hmm. that because I really just clearly no I didn't what you were showing I was like what were those three things that you said (laughs) yeah no the three things I I said where adoption, if you're born with your mother unconscious and being premature. Yes, separation. And I think absolutely those kind of early medical interventions have have a really strong impact too. But those three seem to cause quite a lot of issues. And that said, you know, I just want (laughs) to reiterate that (laughs) all of this is really recoverable it's entirely feasible absolutely I think you and I are living proof of that absolutely are yes Mm. we're We're doing amazingly aren't we (laughs) I think we are amazing (laughs) I wanted to revisit a couple of things you said yeah Mm. I I loved what you said about the um, you know being the early person to something that's something I've always wanted to be like I was like great aware parenting when I became an instructor there was just me and someone else we became the first ones in Australia and I okay great this is new right let's go I mean I always like sharing something that's new with people yes that totally resonates for me so thank you for that absolutely yeah I was the first person in the whole entire UK cohort to complete their breastfeeding counselling diploma and I was the first person in the cohort when I trained in hand in hand and like just I always do things quick if I'm onto something I just yeah so yeah I was the youngest person ever to qualify as a psychosynthesis psychotherapist similar yeah. wow so, gosh yeah we like to do it quickly yeah yeah <laughs> that's <great> just <laughs> just a given yes yeah The other thing, and I I don't know whether you feel comfortable to share, but you're talking about the neurological condition that you have and you linking that with your premature experience. Do you feel comfortable to share how you see that linking? Because I know sometimes it's, you know, it can be a bit tricky for people still to understand that that deep, completely interconnected experience with what we experience and what happens to us physiologically. Do you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I developed this pain condition when my daughter was six months old, where I started getting this very severe pain in my left elbow. And then it traveled down to my wrist and then ended up in various parts of my hand. And it doesn't really sound like the way I've described it doesn't sound like such a big deal, but I'm talking about literally unending pain that was very, very strong. Uh, so similar levels to being in heavy labor at times. So I would be like mooing. Um, I'd kind of, you know, my eyes would be shot like I'd been in a torture chamber and it would go on for sometimes days at a time, days and through the night. And it was inexplicable Uh nobody you know obviously people looked into all kinds of different causes and none of them came up with any explanation I got passed from pillar to post every single kind of doctor and every department 
And then eventually during the pandemic, I found this incredible neurologist. Oh my God, she was such a wonderful woman who looked at me and said, you've got a functional neurological condition. And this is where basically a hypervigilance is triggered in the brain. And this can be triggered by lots of different things. And when I went into hospital, they they taught us about this. Some of the things can be physical. It might be a virus or an accident. So any kind of stress on the body, basically. It can also be emotional. So it can be having a very difficult marriage, which is uh, where my symptoms started with my ex-husband. Things were extremely stressful uh, at home. And it can be early trauma or any, any kind of trauma, basically. You can also have a biological weakness. And I think premature babies very often do have this because, you know, our lungs weren't fully formed and our bodies were under so much stress and there's a lot of catching up to be done. Um, I think it's quite common that premie babies end up with a higher rate of neurological issues, sometimes things like deafness or blindness. So, yeah, there was a physical weakness there, but there was also an emotional weakness, or I don't know if weakness is the right word, but a sort of propensity to uh, not really cope so well with stress. And, yeah, the two times my symptoms have been most triggered were attachment-related for me. So this initial period with my ex-husband when our marriage became very, very difficult, but also... Uh, I had a blow up with my current girlfriend just before my symptoms worsened. And that was the point where I described literally being like almost psychotic. Like I stopped eating or sleeping for a month and I was just crawling around my flat, like, like howling and like hysterical. Literally, I could not handle it at all. And that level of stress yeah, I think it further triggered the functional neurological disorder. So mm. it's like a snowballing effect of all the different sources of stress, trauma, physical injury that switch the brain into this hypervigilance. And it's st- the brain starts using its attentive system to pay attention to things that should be uh taken care of by the inattentive system mm-hmm. so things like the attentive system is is what you use when you sit down and do your accounts the inattentive system is what you use when you're driving a car mm-hmm. and obviously the brain gets very very tired it's not designed to use its attentive system for every single thing and when it's tired a chronically tired brain will throw out wonky signals so some people start fitting some people have pain some people have dead limbs all kinds of strange symptoms fatigue any kind of inexplicable weird symptoms and for me I've got this almost like phantom limb pain in my left hand uh, which you know they've they've established that there's nothing actually wrong with my hand so it's just happening in my brain the doctors don't actually know how to resolve these kind of issues but they do say that they see spontaneous recoveries and I think I 
suspect I understand what what actually needs to happen. Mm. It's a sort of it's a nervous system disorder, really. So it makes sense to me that the answer lies in nervous system recovery, which is all the kinds of work that you and I have been doing already for many years. Retraining the brain to know that it's safe. Soothing the nervous system. So like I've been going into float tanks, which are deeply relaxing. Have you been in one of those? I went into float tanks, but the ones with when you when they close the door and it's dark, and that's just too yeah. that was, that would stimulate the right terror for me. I couldn't do that. So that kind of claustrophobia. Yeah. <laughs> I did have terror for the first three sessions. I felt like I was being eaten by great white sharks because you're in pitch black, suspended. It's almost like being suspended in midair. Yeah. Um, in this warm bubble that's completely silent. <laughs> So your mind can make up all kinds of things about what's happening to you. And I did. I had to sit with like extreme terror for the first few. And then it was like my nervous system dropped and I'd end up feeling like I was kind of suspended somewhere in the stars. I didn't even know where I was. Wow. And it, yeah, became deeply relaxing. Amazing. So that's been one thing that's been really good for me. But yeah, lots of... Lots of different ways of soothing the nervous system. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if we might even move into that, like talking about, so anybody listening who may have experienced something similar, but also in terms of thinking about babies and children and teenagers yes. as well, there might be things that we could include to to really support. I think we both said this many times, is that to really give reassurance and encouragement that it really is possible to make massive healing as an adult as an adult as an adult no it really is but also to really support parents to really understand the huge effect and I think both you and I talk about it, to imagine what that would have been like if our parents had understood all of these things that we're talking about and had been able to respond in a different way how differently our life trajectory probably would have been and just yes. really kind of say if you can in, if your baby was premature if you have been separated or if they have had a medical interventions just to really encourage parents to know that they can do things whilst their baby is a baby or a child or a teen that will mm-hmm. have really uh, but particularly as a baby that are going to have such huge effects on that baby's whole life mm, absolutely yeah yes so I wonder if we yeah. might share some of that, but just to know even simple things that you talked about, some of the reparative experiences, and I've shared this often that I now I have this daily practice that I've been doing for a couple of years, but I've had various similar practices over many years that as soon as I wake up, I have my inner loving mother and inner loving father, which is part of the Marian method work. And they say mm-hmm. to baby me, welcome to the world, sweetheart. And mm. I, I imagine being held and they say the three things are, we're right here with you. We're going to stay with you as long as you want. We're not willing for anyone to hurt you. And we are here to listen to all of your feelings. So those Aww. for me, the those three reparative things, having that closeness, having that protection and, and yeah, getting to express all the feelings. So for me, I start my every day like that. And I just yeah. love that as a really kind of quite simple little practice to just go yeah I'm I'm rewiring I'm rewiring I'm rewiring (laughs) 
so gorgeous. I love that. I mean, no, that covers all bases, really, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, doesn't all it? the things that you need to hear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, yes, carry on. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you, I also do. I've done lots of, in terms, again, my Marian method work. I talk about that in the loving presence process. So going back and revisiting many, many, many times what it was like, but also getting to redo how I would have loved it to have been. And it's always that mm-hmm. they, my parents just like, they say, no, we're going to do kangaroo care. Like, unless it, mm-hmm. you really have to be taken away right when not willing mm-hmm. for anyone to take you away mm-hmm. from us. Uh, I love the laughter. And, you know, if, if there's any interventions, we're going to talk to you about it and we're going to make sure it's really gentle and we're going to listen to all of your feelings. And basically we're mm-hmm. just going to hold you all the time. We're not going to leave the hospital because my parents did leave mm-hmm. and we're just staying here and we're not willing. It doesn't matter what they do. We're not leaving. We're not leaving you. And we're just going mm-hmm. to every single feeling, even if it's 10 hours a day for 10 years, we will listen to all of your feelings. And I, I feel such joy and <laughs> I reconnect with that every, every single time. <laughs> Gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, and I do just want to add, you know, I've supported parents who absolutely refused to leave the NICU and they had to sit in an uncomfortable chair. You know, mothers who had just given birth, who were exhausted. Uh, It's not okay. The setup is not supportive of keeping mothers and babies, parents and babies together. So if you are someone who left your baby, Uh, you know I don't want anyone to go down a hole about that it's you're literally yeah uh what's the word swimming against the tide to try to do that kind of thing in the current setup so yeah it's it's almost impossible to really give a baby what they need in in that context um yeah given the current way that that birth is supported and that sort of newborns are supported yeah, I I very much relate. Um, I've had to check in with that little baby part of me every morning when I wake up anxious. Sometimes I wake up with just like raging anxiety uh, on an attachment level for no good reason. Just, you know, it's a new day. <laughs> um, so a lot of all that self-parenting, yeah, the breathwork was... Uh, a game changer for me things like parts work I've done a lot with my therapist where we got in touch with this you mentioned feeling like there's something wrong with you and I really relate to that like feeling like I was a sort of reject baby like a spoiled baby you know like there was something wrong with me and that's the only reason why they weren't with me Uh, there must have been something wrong with me for them to do that uh and there's yeah there's a kind of regressed part that lives in me that is so kind of damaged I suppose that she's almost not human and if you think about those Romanian orphanage babies who were given the food and the warmth that they needed on a very practical level, but they didn't get any of their emotional needs met. They did some of they did some brain scans on those babies and found that their brain development just didn't happen in a normal way and their brains were shriveled in size. I feel like there's part 
there's a part that lives in me that is, you know, along those lines, not receiving that eye contact, not receiving that sense of somebody being with you, keeping you safe, someone that gets you, essentially the connection that all babies really need to thrive on, that actually babies are hypervigilant for the first hour after their birth. They call it the golden hour where babies are literally taking in every sight and sound around them to establish what kind of a place they've come to, how safe it is here. And all of those cues are given via the mother's face and the father's voice and the touch and the sounds and the lighting. And so if that's been completely void and it's been replaced instead by kind of mechanical sounds and bustling nurses and even painful experiences like drips and uh, intubation and it's making me shudder actually it's yeah it's very different to what would be ideal for a baby and so yeah I have totally spaced out now. I was like, I've forgotten actually what we what the what the right. theme was there <laughs> because we've both gone. Well, talk about breathing. Oh no, no, no it's not going. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. This, I just want to say I really resonate. For me, it's slightly different. It's more mm. the sense that there's just still some kind of base terror, and I still with it. I don't know, even the thought of going to hospital for me would be like, no, there's places that I still kind of arrange my life that to, to, to that sense of agency is so important. And I can still see places where kind of being more expansive in certain ways are still kind of terrifying. So that that's my sense that there's still this kind of kernel of terror of like, no, it's, yeah. Yeah, I still got a lot of fear around dying. So I sense that's that'll okay. be another opportunity for all that to, to right. be right. So wow, that's my yeah. next piece of work. Okay, I, I want to get to the point where when I'm dying, I'm like totally relaxed and you will joyful. Yeah, I, mean, I totally trust that I will be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember where I was going with that, which is horrifying. To all the listeners, this is an example of what happens when we're connecting with past material. That right. Just remember, <laughs> and we dissociate a little bit, and then we've forgotten what we were talking about, where what the theme was. Yeah. 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 Got a lived example there. I think I was talking about parts work, and, yeah, just how we have different parts within us. So we have, yeah. like, the place that feels the most damaged and the most unlovable and yeah and then we have maybe other parts like the very uh, needy baby that just you can't pour enough into and those kinds of things and uh yeah I'm referring to internal family systems when I when I say parts work which is a sort of newer movement in psychotherapy that uh, is I think wonderful But also the hand-in-hand listening partnerships are, you know, you can do so much work with that because you're introducing these loving relationships into your life and you're giving yourself a container to pour out those hurts. And there's an awful lot of crying that needs to be done. 
I can remember one particularly bitter cry with my gorgeous listening partner, Mary Lupe, uh, who's been with me so many times in this space and knows that little baby part of me so well. And I think I just had a fight with my girlfriend and she'd been a bit mean. And I was with this real injustice about being treated badly. And it felt so painful in that moment. And I cried so hard. And after that particular cry, I really noticed things felt very different afterwards. Yeah, sometimes particular listening partnerships are a real turning point, I've found. And in terms of how we as parents can support our premie babies as they grow up to release some of this terror and some of this hurt and some of this sense of abandonment and aloneness there are so many things we can do so that they don't have to carry this all through to adulthood like you and I had to do yeah things like I mean firstly processing your own experience of this because it's painful for parents too it's absolutely brutal to have your baby taken away and for you to experience powerlessness around that and to witness your baby go through painful procedures or being pinned down or to have to leave them there in the NICU and go home at night, any of that, as much of the hurt as you can possibly shed around that. It's like you're raising the emotional ceiling. You're increasing your availability so that your child can just sponge that availability right up and they will. So that's probably the the first piece of work to do. And then I suppose just having the awareness that there is a hurt there and that they may need to cry. Crying is so healing. I mean, this is the kind of foundation of the work that you do, right, Marion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you want to say anything more about crying? Yeah, well, I want to say before that as well, it's also cl- closeness just as much. And also, of course, mm-hmm. for some premature babies, it may even be a while before it's even safe for them to cry until they actually get well. Right. And yes. what's the word? Strong enough. Strong enough to actually, for it to be safe for them to cry, but to know. Mm-hmm. And I often think about not only the closeness as much as possible. And I really love what you said as well. I really wanted to say when I was talking about my revisiting, imagining my parents being there to really acknowledge that really isn't possible for most parents Mm. but to know that actually any closeness and presence that you can offer at any time is like manner to a premature baby so just Mm. and once they're out like just as much closeness as you possibly can always forever like as long as they want that lovely co-sleeping if if you're able to and just Mm. as much holding as much carrying as much preventing from like overstimulation so carrying them in a carrier and having them facing inwards and not putting them in particularly premature babies not putting them in a pram or a stroller if you possibly can because they've already just got so much in their system so just like that carrying is so healing Mm. even without the crying and also the understanding like even if we're not able to yet listen to their crying to actually acknowledge their feelings I just have the sense that even if babies don't understand the words if we say I'm here with you and I imagine you feel scared or I imagine you feel yes 
overwhelmed or imagine you feel sad or to actually just acknowledge just us being present acknowledging those feelings whilst they're feeling them I just think that goes a long way personally I really think it does we can do so much to be with these lovely little babies and hear them and understand them and be with them absolutely and through play as they get older game affection games and power games so things like you know she's mine and you can't have her and then maybe the other parent steals her off of you and you chase them around the house and grab her leg and pull her back so she can giggle and giggle and giggle about how loved she is it just feels such a relief to her mm-hmm. and power games like I don't know I bet you can't beat me to the corner of the street and you put up a really good race and then just at the last minute you let them win and you go what how did you win with your tiny little legs and I'm so much faster than you and they again get to kind of feel the relief of having that power being the faster one in a world where you know children don't have an awful lot of autonomy they don't tend to feel powerful a lot of the time particularly if they're premature and they, they're carrying this hurt around powerlessness. But yeah, just pouring in all your love and your closeness and your play and your listening and clearing your own hurts around the situation, it, that's enough. And they will take care of the rest themselves. They'll, they'll bring the hurt to you. And you just have to keep showing up. Absolutely. Again and again and again and again and again and being Mm -hmm. compassionate with yourself when you can't. I think I'd love to add another thing as well is to, to as much as possible to avoid separation then once they are. And I know, again, this really hard in what I call the disconnected domination culture. Our culture is not set up to support that, but wherever Mm. possible, having them close as much as you can for as long as you can. And to know that when they are separated in any way, shape or form, that is probably going to reconnect them with those early memories. So it'll be really common for them to cry a lot Mm -hmm. around separations for a long time. And I know for me, for many, many years, like any time I, I've only just remembered this actually, when I came back home again as a child, I would always think my parents had died at night time I would go and listen to check that they were breathing I was just constantly thought they were died and, um, and like being oh, I go on planes a lot every time like going on planes and leaving people I'd cry so much so oh. that separation for me would really help me connect with lots of feelings so just to really understand that it may be you know maybe for their whole life separation or hopefully not if you start listening when they're babies maybe not mm-hmm just to know that any kind of even little separation is possibly mm. going to help them remember that big separation and just to yeah to be there and to listen to those feelings and to the fear and to the terror so that they can release it mm. from their bodies so they're not carrying it like we've done for decades and decades this is actually reminding me of a girl who I've seen grow up a daughter of a client who had a difficult start, was premature, quite premature, I think, and in the NICU and probably had some quite severe uh, medical interventions. And her mother, you know, has been doing this work for many years, but also has her own barriers to really, you know, being able to be available for 
those big feelings and yeah this was a kid who would have big aggressive meltdowns and her mom didn't and actually just recently she turned 15 and she had her first boyfriend and just had a separation uh they ended their relationship and she lost the plot and this is quite a precocious avoidant child who you know hasn't really been reaching for her mother it's always been pushing her away but was just so undone that she was like mommy (laughs) and literally cried I think for something like three days and nights and just it was such pain in her cries Mm -hmm. and obviously we knew that she was using this as an opportunity to work on that early separation so sometimes it's through yeah relational separations that teenagers can start to work on this stuff even if there hasn't been a lot of opportunity before then Mm. and it can be so helpful can it just even the understanding of like why a teenager or someone in the early 20s maybe is having such big feeling like why are they yes. so heartbroken of course it's always natural. a reason it's all normal mm-hmm. natural to be you know really sad after an ending but to the level of the grief and the sadness and the mourning that happens is a different level isn't it when it has baby feelings in there absolutely and I should say actually since that huge cry she's been much more engaged in her life not really able to engage in that shifted a lot after this experience so yeah just goes to show how uh this accumulation of feelings from early times can become a barrier to us living our lives fully um and how and how retrievable that is mm. yes in any moment mm-hmm. yeah mm. oh is there anything else that you would love to say that you haven't said yet let's see Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for two hours. I know, I was going to say, oh my God, it is nearly two hours. I'm not surprised, are you? (laughs) Yeah. No, I feel like we've covered quite a lot, actually. And yeah, feel free to edit this down because I suppose this is quite a long ramble for people to listen to. But I want to keep it. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I, I'm delighted to have got into all of this with you. And I, I just I feel so much resonance in everything that you've been saying. And it feels such a relief to connect with another person who knows their way around all of this in the way that you do. Yes. Uh, it, it certainly makes me feel less alone with it. Uh, yeah me too and so mm. me too and so honored and oh it's been such a rich conversation and mm. yeah so yummy and I have a sense we might you know our paths might cross in different ways over the years absolutely yeah yeah looking forward to that yeah me too oh. mm. yeah thanks Marion oh, thanks thank for you. all that you do so and oh. yeah just how much you bring oh, thank to you, thank the you. world. Yeah. 
yeah. how much you've transmuted your experiences into these superpowers that we mentioned. Yeah, I have the exact same sense of you. So much gratitude to you. And I just see your the presence that you bring to parents and that safety and that deep, unconditional love and presence. And so beautiful and so delicious. <laughs> so thank you. Mm. Mm. And I'd love as we move into finishing our time to hear what you would like to share about what you do offer parents and where people can find you if they want to come and find out more about you, the amazing work that, that you do with parents and others <laughs> yeah so I at the moment have paired back because I've just had this quite severe run of uh, illness I've paired back my offerings I normally have all kinds of courses running and you know all kinds of offerings but at the moment I'm just offering the sort of 12-week uh, consultation program which goes very deep it's for people who have a uh, real difficulty in their family life that want to completely turn that on its head and it's quite high a high level of input from me so yeah that's what's available for now and there's probably more coming quite soon and you can find me at roma norris n o r i s com no is that right <laughs> Uh, I'm now doubting myself. I think it's romanoris.com. Just Google me. Google I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes as well, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel so delighted imagining all the future parents that will come and be supported by you. I just love being in your presence. I just get such mm. a, like this relief and this safety and this love and just like getting to to gaze into your eyes so thank you for thank you for, for giving me that opportunity and oh you're amazing <laughs> well likewise and yeah I know you have all kinds of resources for parents on this stuff you have a course for around babies right yeah, of course yeah and I'm actually right now editing my book on babies so that's I've always thought oh I don't need to because Alita's got the aware baby and it's so amazing but I have strong calling so that's part of what was the calling to go oh I'm going to do a series on the podcast while I'm editing this book so yeah I I can really see as we've been talking like that's like yep that's just another part of that little baby me going write a book (laughs) 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 okay then I will (laughs) you're amazing don't ever stop and yeah I can't wait to hear some of the other podcasts in this series yes I think mm. it's gonna be so yummy really good stuff yeah thank you so much I'm just sending you so much love so much love to baby you I imagine us little babies oh. lying together oh. and kind of hold maybe I don't know what you're imagining I imagine it's kind of reaching out hands and just kind of holding yeah. your hands and going <laughs> we're here we're doing it we're safe now <laughs> thanks for that image yeah. it's yummy isn't it yeah yeah so much love to you thank you for all that you're doing so much love to your body and all the all the recovery mm-hmm. so willing for you to feel really well and <sighs> big hugs big love. yeah big love to you too and yeah. lots of love to all the listeners I just want to say it'd be so normal and natural if you're listening 
particularly if you've had any kind of similar experience yourself or your baby has, I just want to invite you as always to reach out for a listener, whether that's an empathy partner, listening partner, aware parenting instructor, hand in hand instructor, you know, it's so important to, to get support and just sending you so much love to any and all feelings. And thank mm. you for listening and lots of love. Yeah. Go gently if this is stirred up any hurts from either your early life or your child's early life. Um, Yeah, it's uh, quite a big topic that we've been discussing. So, yes, yeah, go easy on yourselves. Yeah, a big joint hug from both of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, lots of love. Mm.